Hello, and welcome to Cross Life Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. We pray that this message from our lead pastor, Chester Passmore, will encourage and challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening. All right, if you have your Bible, we'll turn to Mark chapter 2. Today you had been set up by the Holy Spirit. And uh, what I'm about to preach to you and how this service has gone could not be uh, more perfectly orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Um, I've entitled this The Great Commission, okay? And I've done, I've basically done that, I think I preached five sermons, four or five sermons on the Great Commission. But today is a statement that we're all very familiar with, okay? And the statement is, faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, we'll, probably, we'll look at that scripture at the end here in a little bit. Faith without works is dead. Um... Specifically, cross life. I want. I want to. I want to be able to talk. I want to share my heart just for a couple minutes. I was thinking about this during worship. We have been and continue to be a very presence-driven church. Amen. Amen. And just how many of y'all felt the Holy Spirit in the room just this morning? Okay, okay, that's great. All right. There is though a danger of the idea. This is the best way to put it. This sanctuary is doing its best to be cool. Okay? How many of y'all think it's cold in here? How many of y'all are cold? Raise your hand if you're cold. Like you could put on a jacket and be fine. Okay, cold. Raise your hand if it's hot in here. Okay, yeah. You see way more hands because that's the truth. Okay? Now, <laughs> now uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of warm in here. But you come into, from that in the heat, 90, I think today it's supposed to be 95, 96 degrees outside. You come into this sanctuary, and it feels cool. Correct? Now, that is a very much Old Testament principle. Come into the sanctuary, right? And you get the relief of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And I fear that there can be this concept that, that we kind of get into this mode where we just come into his presence, i.e. the sanctuary, and just feel his relief, and it feels good. Amen? It feels good. There's relief. It's pleasant. I could stay here a while. This is great. But see, the New Testament model is you have become the sanctuary. And now you don't look to go to a place to experience the change of the temperature, you are therefore the thermostat that wherever you go, you change the temperature. Amen? I used to tell the teenagers all the time that those that, that, were, that were in my youth group, you can either be a thermostat or a thermometer. Well, now I'm going to preach to the youth for a second, right? You go into an atmosphere and you, you, you uh, gauge its temperature. And then you adapt to its temperature. So if it's hot, you're hot. If it's cold, you're cold. Or a thermostat 
is meant to be used by the finger of God to adjust the temperature wherever it's at. You see what I'm saying? You go into a situation and God says, I want to turn the heat up. He uses you to set the tone wherever you are. And the idea is we're a presence-driven church, and we can, we can kind of be Old Testament there and go, we'll just go into his presence to experience the presence rather than be the carriers of the presence and the glory of God and change the world around us. I'm just going to say a cold, hard fact right now. You can come and bow your heart in everything we did this morning, but if there's nothing that changes you or the world around you as a result of the prayers you prayed this morning, it was pointless. Because faith without works, the word there, the dead word is unfruitful, does not produce anything. It's, it's what every Old Testament woman that we read about while she was so discouraged and despaired when her room her womb was dead because she could not produce and she knows she was on this earth to produce you see what i'm saying to produce the same thing as a christian faith without works is dead like we should be bothered if our life is not produ in production mode amen you hear what i'm saying and so the difference is do we have to have faith? Yes, but the evidence of that faith in our life is the works that are going out. So if I bow my heart in faith, there should be a physical, tangible evidence of that faith in a work that is produced out in the outflow of my life. Let's talk about that, okay? Let's talk about that. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum. The news was quickly spread he was back in town. Soon there were so many people crowded inside the house to hear him that there was no more room even outside the door. Hang on, look at me. How many of y'all know this story? This is the story where they put the paralyzed man on a little cart or, uh, or, or a cot and they go up on top of the house and they rip open the house and they lower him down. How many of you have heard this story before in your life? Okay, let's talk about this. Okay, there was no more room even outside the door. It was packed. While Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men had the gall four men who did not know how church is supposed to go. God, give us some people who don't know how church is supposed to go. Some people so full of faith, they don't care to disrupt the normal. While Jesus was preaching, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. And here's the thing. They don't care that they're disrupting. And number two, Jesus doesn't either. As a pastor, as one who orchestrates church services, I am much more uncomfortable with the same thing every service than I am with disruptions, whether they're from heaven or whether they're from hell. And I can, deal with, I can deal with both. What I can't deal with 
is the monotony of religion that just wants to check off our box for the day and do our thing. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I don't think that lady's here. A few weeks ago, I was asked to play, and I got up on the keyboard. And as soon as I got up on the keyboard and started playing a song, I was going to be singing. This lady, how many of remember what I'm talking about? This lady began to walk back to her seat, and she began to hoop, holler, scream, shout, be all, very, all kinds of disruptive. Made me happy. Makes you uncomfortable. Makes me happy. Well, why does it make you happy? Because everywhere Jesus went, demons started crying out. Everywhere Jesus went in the middle of his preaching, people started ripping open the roof. Everywhere Jesus went, funerals stopped in procession and they disrupted the funerals. When, we are dis- when we're not disrupted, we're just, hell is very happy. And so I like it even when hell disrupts our services. It means we're doing something right. And it's okay. It's not the end of the world. We can deal with it. Somebody say amen. Okay? So while Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. But when they realized that they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, they said, you know what? It's probably better that we don't disrupt the service and we come back next week. And so we're just going to leave for now and, and, and do what we do because this service is more important than the healing of a paralyzed man. Therein, if, if there was one explain, I'm, I'm going all over. The, there's one statement that could explain the body of Christ in modern church. It's that right there. Don't disrupt what God is doing when we spend two hours on a Sunday morning and we leave, we leave and nothing's changed. Right above Jesus' head. I don't know if it's a thatch roof. I don't know if it's, if it's some kind of clay tile. Right above his head, pieces must have been falling on his head. And he probably looked up like, what in the world? And men's fingers are poking through the ceiling as they're ripping off the roof. When they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man down on the stretcher, right down in front of him. <laughs> when Jesus saw, when Jesus saw the audacity of them to disrupt was very upset. <laughs> when Jesus saw the extent of their faith, stop. Is there, oh God, is there four people amongst us this morning who'd be willing to be made fools of? Who'd be willing to be labeled radical? Who'd be willing to be completely embarrassed to at least try to do something that isn't ordinary? Now, you all think I'm talking about church. I'm talking about I just preached five weeks on the Great Commission, and you tell me in the last two weeks since I preached that sermon, what have you done different in the kingdom? What have you done outside of the ordinary flow of your system 
of religion. Jesus didn't perceive their faith. He didn't have a spiritual word of wisdom or word of knowledge. He didn't prophesy about their faith. He saw something in action. He saw faith that was alive because there was work of ripping through a roof. Tell me, what work have you done that has demonstrated that you believe you have authority to change the earth from heaven and create disciples and afford the kingdom of God and his disciples? What work have you done that you can point to in the last 24 hours, 36 hours, seven days, month, where there, somebody can say, that is the, Jesus can say, I see faith in them because they're doing something to advance the kingdom of heaven. Jesus saw the extent of their faith. He said, the paralyzed man, my, my son, this part, you know, we're just gonna, we're gonna go through. Uh, my son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, this offended some of the religious scholars who were present. <laughs> and the scholars reason among themselves. Who does he think he is to speak this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sentence. By the way, uh, that statement is true. But they don't perceive, as Matt preached last Sunday, who's standing in front of them. Come on, y'all with me? Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts, and he said to them, Why are you being so skeptical? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are now forgiven, or stand up and walk. But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given a, 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 a what? Listen to me. I sound like a broken record authority Jesus has and he's given it to you where is the evidence of that authority being manifested in your life where tell me a moment I'm not talking about a feeling I'm not talking about a prayer I'm not talking about an excitement in a place of private devotion I'm not talking about something you just felt 30 minutes ago in the altar of your of your every morning Sunday uh, service experience I'm talking about outside of these four walls when was the moment you exercised authority of the kingdom of God Hell is absolutely happy with people who call themselves Christians who do not demonstrate his kingdom. Are y'all out there this morning? Hell is absolutely happy with you doing your religious things, your duties, your devotions, all this kind of stuff, but never affecting anything of the world around you. He's okay with you having authority. He's not okay with you using it. And I'm telling you, we have created a system of religion called Christ Western Christianity where we have all the knowledge. We've been preached to. We've been, we, we've been uh, sang to. We have all this understanding, this wisdom, and this revelation but we do not have actionable faith. And I'm telling you, God wants his presence experienced, but he wants his kingdom demonstrated. 
but to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately, the man sprang to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. When the crowds, what's this word? Witnessed. When they saw faith in action and the manifest presence of God do something, they went, oh. Most of the world response to us right now is, uh. Because nothing's striking their hearts to wonder. Nothing's creating awe. The crowd witnessed this miracle. They were awestruck. I'm telling you, what would it look like for a church of believers who were demonstrating the kingdom and the city was awestruck? Because not we were having good services, not because we were having the best discipleship classes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but because everywhere they went, they were demonstrating the kingdom of God. They, the crowd, shouted praises to God and said, We've never seen anything like this before. Which is exactly what the world wants to see right now. And all we keep showing them is what we've always known and what we've always done. Somebody say amen. Verse 13, Jesus goes on. And he went out to walk near the Lake of Galilee. As massive crowds gathered, so he taught them. He walked and found Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth collecting taxes. Hang on before we go any further. Levi, Matthew, is a tax collector. This guy is a Jew who is working for the Roman government to take money from the Jewish people and to uh, pad his own pockets and to pay unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But he is absolutely despised amongst his people. You hear me? He is considered a traitor. He's considered not only a traitor, but someone who is profiteering off of his own people for another enemy government. He is the worst of the worst. He is the scum of the earth as far as Israel is concerned, tax collector. That's why every time you see tax collectors come up in the scripture, they are negative, bad associated people. Jesus. <laughs> oh, isn't he just lovely? I'm going to start my ministry and start calling disciples, and the first stop I'm going to make is I'm going to go to the scum of Israel. Oh, somebody. I'm going to go to the scum of Israel and say, follow me. Jesus wants his manifestation of his kingdom to the worst of the worst. To everybody we think doesn't deserve it, 
is the last person we'd pick to be a part of this church is the first place and first place Jesus wants to go. Hold up, hold up, is the first place Jesus wants you to go. Ooh, that wouldn't, didn't get as much as amen. He walked along, he found Levi, son of Alphaea, sitting in the tax booth collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come follow me. Immediately, oh my goodness, immediately he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Look at me, look at me. We live in a system of religion who wants the Levi's of the world, and all of us have been Levi before, by the way, to consider, think about, feel, the, feel something, and would you think about, consider Levi as an evidence of his faith stands up out of his seat immediately and says, yes, sir, I will follow you, walking away from a lucrative practice of money, security, and he walks away from it all as an act of faith to follow God. Our gospel consists of, I need you to please come and get saved and not go to hell. And we are not asking people to walk away from their sin, from their dysfunction, from their corruption of their own moral character and life. We're just saying, come escape hell. It's not a gospel that requires anybody to follow Jesus out of something and into marvelous light. It's a gospel of please hold his hand into your blessed salvation. The gospel by faith should cost us something. The gospel by faith should be a difficult road to walk. It's not supposed to be easy. It's a narrow and difficult road with promised tribulation and promised persecution. And we have made it into a fancy dining experience with an, a subject God who only wants to make your life good and easy. And the people who really Give it all are the ones who stand up and walk away. The people who say, I will deny myself. I will take up a cross. I will follow him. I will eat his flesh and drink his blood. I will follow. It's faith in action. And then what gets worse is after they get people saved in the modern Christianity... The next time God speaks to them, instead of having immediate, heartfelt, full-throttle obedience to what God wants to say, we have to reason within our minds. And we call that maturity. When Matthew heard the call, jumped up on his feet and said, I will go after you. Faith in action. Verse 15. Later, Jesus' disciples went to have a meal at Levi's house. Big mistake, Jesus. Don't you know you don't start a ministry by uh, going after the worst of the worst? And you certainly don't go eat with them. Everybody can see this. You are a terrible ministry person. You do it all wrong. Among the guests in Levi's home were many tax collectors. He is defiling himself. He's surrounding himself with the worst of the worst. Notable sinners, not just a sinner. 
<laughs> but you know, the ones everybody's taking note of. <laughs> oh, come on, y'all think. <laughs> oh, my Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me. I would like to know, rewind the videotape of our lives. When was the last conversation you had with a notable sinner? That's not comfortable. But this guy was really bad. He had tattoos on his face. You know what those tears mean, don't you? <laughs> I'm talking about when was the last time you had a real conversation with a notable sinner? Sharing a meal with Jesus there were many kinds of people. <laughs> oh, God. Send us many kinds of people. All kinds of people. The good, the bad, the ugly, all kinds of people. Send them. Somebody say amen. amen. Many kinds of people followed him. Verse 16, when there's religious scholars and the Pharisees, there they are again reasoning amongst themselves that Jesus was keeping company with, and dining with sinners and tax collectors, they were indignant. Religious people always are indignant when we go after the worst of the worst and when we go after all kinds of people. Okay? So they approached Jesus' disciples and said to them, why is it that someone like Jesus? What does that mean? Notable sinner and someone like Jesus. Okay. Defiles himself. Verse 17. By eating and sinners and uh, yeah, by eating with sinners and tax collectors. Verse 17. But when Jesus overheard their complaint, he said to him, uh, who goes to the doctor for a cure? What's the answer? Who goes to the doctor for a cure? Sick people, hurt people, injured people. Yeah? Okay? Those who are well or those who are sick, have I not come to call the righteous? No, but to call those who are and bring them to church. Wait. Um, uh, uh, what, what do I do with them? And that right there is an indictment against the body of Christ who is so mature, so full of the word, so full of these things, is if we had a notable sinner in our presence, we wouldn't know what to do with them. What do I say? And this, I'm not an evangelist. <laughs> it's funny to me that you cannot be the office of a prophet and expected to prophesy, but you cannot be the office of an evangelist and not prove any responsibility on yourself to ever evangelize. At least the evangelists say amen. Okay? Amen? Uh, I'm not a pastor, but you can be pastoral. You can care for people, can't you? Okay? All right? I'm not a teacher, but I can, I, I might be the office of a teacher, but I, it's expected to me to teach. The Great Commission, teach disciples. So the idea that we're just, because that's not my calling, we're off the hook for talking to notable sinners and bringing them to repentance is, is a farce, ladies and gentlemen. The gifts were meant to encourage and build up the body. They weren't meant to exclude you out of doing something. Amen? 
I am not an evangelist. It's absolutely my responsibility to go and win the lost. I am not a, I'm, uh, Matt gave out that gifting test. I scored an eight out of 15 in pastoral. That's terrible. I'm not a good pastor. Say amen. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Is it okay? Did we say okay? I'm a terrible pastor. How many of y'all have known that? How many of y'all know that? Yeah, you are smart, aren't you? <laughs> okay, I am not a good quote-unquote, I don't care for people well. If my wife's working in the nursery this morning, if, if I get sick, she comes and she brings me little, you know, soup and, and, and Sprite or, or whatever, and she nurses me. If she gets sick, I go to the opposite end of the, end of the house and I yell from a distance, do you need anything? I need tissue. Chad, take tissue to your mother. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay? I am not a great pastor. Now, I scored high in leadership. Doesn't mean that whenever a pastoral situation comes up that I don't need to go pastor somebody. So stop the minute. It's my calling thing. There is a dead, dying... Mm. See... We live in a city where another man died this week from an overdose, but it's not your calling. That's wrong. To have the authority of heaven, to have the answer of God and sit in our pews and do nothing for heaven is wrong. He who knows to do good and does not do it is sin in the word. To have the great commission bound up in my heart and play church is wrong. Am I angry? No, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the system of religion we have allowed to come into our lives that we think this is okay. The kingdom must be demonstrated. It must be demonstrated. Otherwise, everything we're doing is a joke. I just want you, except when you want me to do things. Jesus be the center, except whenever I am in a rush at Walmart and there is someone hurting and I perceive the need, but I will not allow my schedule to be altered. My marriage is falling apart, but I can't, I just want you to accept that I'm going to be so selfish. Come on, let's get real. You hear what I'm saying? I just want you until you ask me of something. And then I want what I want. How are we as Christians, full of the Holy Ghost, walking in this world and not having no divine appointments on a regular basis? It's not because God isn't orchestrating divine appointments. It's because we, as last week, are so closed off to the Spirit in our hearing and in our seeing we are doing what we think we need to do and we're not being navigated by the Holy Ghost and we're not being sensitive to his prodding and his pushing and his light and, and, and go there and do this. I'm telling you, there should be disruptions in our daily walk with God. 
we should be tearing the roof off of the house and disrupting the religious system all day long to get somebody who could not walk healed, somebody who was dead in their sin saved, somebody who was demonically oppressed set free by the Holy Ghost. What faith, action is Jesus seeing in my life? I didn't come to the righteous. I come to those who are sick and in need of repentance. Jesus still feels that way. Verse 17. Those who are well and those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but to call those who are sinners and bring them to repentance. Matthew chapter 9 Jesus says of the same story, this is, what, this is what Matthew says about that same story. That in part, when Jesus overheard this, he spoke up and said, healthy people don't need to see a doctor, but the sick will go for treatment. Verse 13, then he added, now you should go and study the meaning of this verse. This is Hosea chapter 6. He's quoting the Old Testament. I want you to show mercy, not just give me a sacrifice. I'm not looking for you just to come in on a Sunday morning, give me a sacrifice and offering, give me a sacrifice of praise, and not show the dying sick world mercy. I want you to show mercy, not just offer a sacrifice. For I have come to invite the outcast of society and sinners, not those who think they're already on the right path. Hosea, if you go back to Hosea and read chapter 6, says this, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight. Hold up, let me explain that to you. It's that they come to the, they come to the temple and they offer their sacrifices and they get fired up for the Holy Spirit, for the God, Yahweh, and they walk out and then their love is like the dew that vanishes. There's no more evidence of the love except when they come to the temple to offer sacrifices. When we go to church, we get worked up emotionally, we do these things, then we walk out the doors, and then our love vanishes. Our love must be manifested. He, uh, <laughs> no greater love has a man than he lay down his life for a brother. And so what happens is we come to church, and we, have, we give our sacrifices, we feel good, and we walk out, and we go to eat, or we get whatever, whatever we go to do. And there's a brother who is in need, and we do not love them appropriately, and we don't understand that we're not just letting humanity down. We're actually demonstrating to God that our love has limits for him. I sent my prophets. Boy, this is what I'm doing today. You, you probably don't love it. It probably feels this way. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces and slaughter you with my words. With judgments as inescapable as light. I want you to show love. Jesus, 
and he, when he says, I want you to show mercy, same, same thing. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I am telling you, this is where we have to have the shift. We have known God in the sanctuary, in his presence. We are presence-driven people, but we have not really known God on the street watching his presence come down and heal, sick, save, deliver. We, we, we know an aspect of God inside the four walls of the church, but do you know the presence of God on the street? And what if there's an aspect of his heart we can only reach by going and doing the Great Commission? You hearing me? You hearing me? What if there's an aspect of God that only gets, I only experience that part of his heart whenever I go in obedience and do the work he's called me to do? I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Well, here's a good one. Luke 19. Are y'all okay out there this morning? Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he was a, uh, well, he was a carpenter and he made a very honorable living. Nope. He was not just a tax collector. He was the tax collector in charge of all the tax collectors. Jesus, what is your problem, man? Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector in the region. Zacchaeus is a bad guy. See, he didn't even have to look people in the eye, but when those people gave money to the tax collectors and the tax collector would bring it to Zacchaeus, he would just take out and put in his pocket what he wanted, and he would pat his own pockets, and he was a deceitful, uh, just a little, uh, you know, bad guy. And he had become very rich. How did he become very rich? Now, the problem with Zacchaeus is some of the problems y'all have, and it's really genetical, and there's nothing really you can do about it. It's just you're inferior to the rest of us. You're short. <laughs> I'm trying to lighten it up because I'm getting a lot of scales right now, but raise your hand if you're short. Okay, Zacchaeus. Okay. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, quick, get down. I'm going to come and be a guest at your house. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house and in great excitement and joy. When the people were displeased, <gasps> imagine that. Did Jesus care? No. 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 He's gone to be the guest of a notorious. Oh, man, not notable. <laughs> not notable. He's notorious B-I-G bad, okay? Anybody out there? Anybody? Okay. Notorious bad, okay? He is the rottenness of rotten human beings. He is notorious. Everybody knows this guy is bad, okay? Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half. <laughs> what are we going to do here? I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times 
Now see, salvation is not supposed to cost you anything. I'm, I'm supposed to feel better about the fact that I'm not going to hell and not have to actually change anything in my life. Are y'all out there this morning? Repentance. Oh, somebody preach with me this morning. Repentance is not the prayer you prayed. Repentance was the change of the heart to the point that you begin to do things differently because of that changed mind. And there was evidence that something in you had shifted. I.e., Cleegee, is it back there? Cleegee gets saved without anybody telling her, runs home, destroys meth lab, breaks up with homosexual girlfriend, and, and stops doing drugs and stops doing all these bad things. Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, now look, if you really mean this, what you need to do. Come on. It was the evidence of the something happening in Zacchaeus' heart that he, before Jesus could ever get out of his mouth, God, you're sitting in my house. Lord, you have come into my heart. You have come into my house. You're dining in my heart. You're sitting at the table of Chester's heart. God, if I've done anything wrong, I today I want to prove to you that I'm repenting. I'm not just saying a prayer and moving on with my life as normal. I'm going to do something different. That's repentance. That's repentance. Stop saying I'm sorry. And be different. Change your mind. Turn away and walk to something different. I'm sorry is not enough anymore. Repentance is I am different. I will do different things. That's not what that means, Chester. Verse 9. Jesus responded, salvation has come today for this man has, everybody say it with me, shown. Listen to me. What thing can Jesus look at in your life that you've shown him that you're different? That I truly am repentant. I'm talking about faith. Faith inside of Zacchaeus was the moment he showed God that I will take my wealth and give it right back if I've done it deceitfully. I showed Jesus something. I believe that, look, even in our relationships as a body, I believe that there is a small fraction of time when you'll do more harm than by going and repenting and doing all this kind of stuff. But by and large, we don't know how to repent properly anymore because we don't know how to actually say I'm sorry and then make restitution for the things we've done wrong. I know this is not your popular message. I know this is old school. But I'm telling you, we don't know how to appropriately tell people, I'm sorry anymore. We just expect to have a change in our private life and then everybody think, well, it's okay now. I'm not, no, 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 no. I, I, I recently had one of my kids do something that was wrong. And before I could get there, she had got to the conclusion, I need to make this right. I need to do something to show this person that I'm sorry. That's repentance. So she made it right and she did something. That was the evidence that God had done something something in our heart to, to, to change and make it right. We, all we want to do is pray a prayer, God, become an altar. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. I know I did. I told you that last week, God, but, but this time I really am sorry I shouldn't have done that. But what we really need to do is biblically go to somebody, look them in the eye. I have done you wrong. I am sorry. Can you forgive me? I'm going to make this right. 
That's the kind of radical Christianity that actually works. We don't do that stuff anymore, do we? See, we live in an arena where we think charismatic Christianity is that we can just deal with things in the abstract world. It's right there, you know, the atmosphere. We never do real life things. God, we'll, we'll, I'll hear a sermon about being the light of the world, and I'll get excited and I'll get I'll get pumped up, but I don't go out and shine for real. How many of y'all would be, don't raise your hand, don't, how many of you would be embarrassed if, if we put a ledger up on the screen about the last time you actually talked to somebody who, who was lost about their salvation or about, about, about praying for them? When's the, if we talked about the last time, how many would be embarrassed to see your name on that screen? That's wrong. You have the authority to heal the sick. When's the last time you prayed for anybody that was sick? Faith without works is dead. It's unfruitful. It's a barren womb. Should we do one more scripture? Verse 10, by the way. What's the will of God? To seek and save those who are lost. James chapter 2, verse 14, and I'm done. My dear brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? Same question I want to ask you this morning. What good is it? How many of y'all, again, your faith was stirred up this morning in worship? Come on, raise your hand. What good is it? To tell Jesus you're the center, but make no tangible change. No real adjustment of that axis to put my life in perfect uh, symmetry of who he is, that I'll spin in harmony and perfection around him. Jesus be the center. Jesus commanded us two things, love God and love people. I'm going to go back and reference that song that I, uh, uh, that I talked about um, What's his name? Uh, John Thurlow. Thank you, buddy. He has this song. It says, if faith without works is dead, so is love without expression. Let's just stop right there. Uh, no, I can't use Ben. He gets embarrassed. So we'll go to Talon. Here in December, Talon and Hannah are going to get married. Whoop, whoop. Do you believe that in any of their mindsets that marriage looks like love without expression? (laughs) 
Do you believe that in any of their expectations of what they're walking into in December, that it means that love will be just something we tell each other but not expressed? The last thing, one of the last things Jesus says to Peter before Jesus is uh, taken up into heaven, he looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. There's an, there's an action, an expression, a tangible action of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, we live in a form of Christianity where we can sing songs and sing and, and agree to sermons that say we love God, but there is no expression of that love. I'm telling you, one of the greatest ways you can love God is this afternoon, if you see somebody who's sick, can I pray for you? Can I put my hands on you and lay my hand on you and pray for you? Uh, uh, are you hurting today? Uh, can, I, can, I, can I talk to you about the love of God? Uh, are, do you see what I'm saying? The greatest expression of worship you can have, one of them with the Father, is the tangible manifestation of the kingdom of God in your life. You love God, but can you love people? Can you demonstrate the kingdom? If someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it, how can this kind of faith save anyone? And herein lies the answer to why our churches are struggling to see, our churches abroad are struggling to see any kind of salvation and people come in and make changeable differences in their life because we're not expressing the love of God, the faith of God. You hearing me? Verse 15, we'll just roll through this. Mark, everybody uh, is ready for me to, to be done. For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you leave them saying, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat. Hey, I love you, bro. <laughs> I love you, bro. I'm praying for you. I got your back. You need anything. You just let me. I love you, bro. Uh, Stephanie Freeman Usually here, she's sitting around, she's recovering from surgery. She had, I don't know how many stents, five stents put in this week. Okay? She's, she's 30 years old and has such heart condition, we're believing for herself, or not her salvation, she is saved, her healing that, that, she, that they're literally calling her before she had these stents, and if she doesn't have a serious surgery in the future, a, a walking time bomb. At thirty something years, at thirty years old, with the little bitty baby. Okay. God's gonna heal her. Okay. I. That's what the doctors say. My Lord says. My Lord says that she is the healed of the Lord. Okay. Now here's the deal: is she had to have surgery on Thursday. Her, her mother can't drive because she's on seizure medication, so she needed somebody to take her up there. And uh, so I called a woman who wasn't working. It was Kirsten, and I called Kirsten. I said, Kirsten, uh, you think you can take her up there? Uh, and this is an all-day event. I'm sorry, you know, like, she got to be there early. She's going to take a while. You're going to be home getting her back, right? Right? Patty had taken her uh, to a hospital visit 
a couple of days before, uh, and but she couldn't do it today that that day. And so I called Kirsten. I said, Kirsten, and the first answer she gave me was, I can't. You know, I don't have I don't have any place to put my kids. Uh, they got to find somebody to pay, take them to school and then pick them up after school, and then I can't do that. And so I said, I completely understand. Didn't think a thing about Kirsten not being able to do that. That she's a bad person or anything. Uh, she got weird hair choices, but other than that, she's cool. Okay. And so, and so I and so. Where I'm, me and Matt are moving on to the next person in our church database who could help her. Who can we call? And we're texting somebody about, and no longer than we get that text out, she calls back. And I'm telling you, it wasn't Chester. It was the Holy Spirit who said to her, you can do this. You can, mm, you can allow yourself to be inconvenienced and make some extra phone calls and get somebody to get your kids and do this kind of stuff. You can do this. See, faith without works is dead. But I'm telling you, when we, when we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced, then I'm telling you, the selfishness of the body of Christ that we won't allow people to inconvenience our lives is destroying the family of the God. How many of y'all have ever been inconvenienced by somebody? It's called life. How many of y'all have ever had children? Extremely inconvenient beings they are. I'm telling you, so inconvenient. Yesterday was I that on the opening morning of bow season, I had to leave at 9.30 before I wanted to to go see my son toot his own horn in band. Okay? It should not be, but it was. It's a light way of putting it that as in a family, we inconvenience ourselves for each other. That's what we do when we say I love you. Amen? So let's love each other. That actually requires us to do something. So anyway, real quickly, I'm done. Uh, I, I want you to stay warm, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup. What good is your faith? See, James, he preaches harder than I do. So then, faith that doesn't involve action is, I love this definition, it's phony. Where are you, James? There you Faith without action is Phony. And what is the number one thing the world accuses the body of Christ of being right now? You know why? Because they're not seeing anything we say we believe backed up in action. But someone might object and say, one person has faith, another person has works. And you know what that, that statement is? Well, that's not my calling, that's their calling. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my works. I love James. You go ahead and show me that your faith is working. I will show you my faith is working. It's proof. Action is proof that your faith is real. That was the point with Zacchaeus. It was proof to Jesus that his faith was real. Verse 19, real quickly. Can you believe all you want? You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. Demons believe it too and tremble. That they are unchanged. They remain demons. Oh, you got to hear this. You got to hear. Demons believe this, but they're unchanged because there is no action to what they believe. Demons will acknowledge that God is God, but they will not change who they are. 
Do you hear what I'm telling you? The only thing that separates you from a demon is that you have put action to the idea that you believe that he is the son of God and you have bowed your life and you have changed the course of who you are. Otherwise, you're just as full of hell as a demon is. Somebody say amen. You hear what I'm telling you? Okay, so, oh, feeble sons of Adam, do you, not, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Verse 21, wasn't our ancestor Abraham found righteous before God because of his works? Abraham is the father of our faith. It is credited to him as righteousness. But the moment his faith became a reality to God was the moment when he picked up that knife and put it to, was about to put it to his own son. You hear me? Because God, uh, uh, Abraham, because God of his works when he offered his own son Isaac on the altar. Listen to me. (laughs) Repentance is not saying I'm sorry and walking out. Repentance is putting something in the altar with every intention of killing it and destroying it in the belief that there is a better way and it's heaven's way. We make excuses for our sin when we should be killing it on the altar of believing that Yahweh is a better way. Can you see how this action cooperated with his faith and by his action, faith found its full expression? God, that our faith would find its full expression in doing the actions that you called us to do. So in this way, the scripture says, because Abraham believed God, his faith was exchanged for God's righteousness, so he became known as a lover of God. Verse 24, so now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eye, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. Do you get saved by works? But it's impossible to prove your salvation without it. You hearing me? If you really got born again, then there is a new creation who does different things. And it is evidence in everybody around. But if you say you got born again and you look like the old creature and you act like the old creature and you talk like the old creature and you perform like the old creature and you do all the old creature things, then let me know, are you a new creation? Amen? So the same is true of the prostitute, Rahab. I love how, I love how the scripture says we're going to take notorious tax collectors and notable tax collectors and prostitutes and we're going to prove that they're more saved than most of us who have been good all our lives. <laughs> okay, that, that didn't go well. Okay, the prostitute named Rahab who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works. For she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city and another route. For just as a human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without the expression of good works is dead, phony, and unfruitful. I've said everything I've said. To bring you to this one point. What will you show God now soon that you have a real belief and faith 
that he is who he says he is, and two, that you hear what he's asking you to do. What's he asking me to do? I just preached five sermons. There are dreams, ministries, There's so much potential in this room that is laying dormant and unbirthed because we have convinced ourselves to over-spiritualize it and gotten away from simple, direct obedience. Where's the Matthew in us that while we're sitting, profiting from the world, just one word from heaven can make us jump up and chase him and forsake the everything. I used to have a fear, and the fear was that we would show up for church and not experience the presence of God. He's proven to me that if you show up for church, if you go and draw near, he will draw near. Now to me, my newfound fear is that we'll show up, experience the presence of God, and walk out of the sanctuary and be unchanged, unmoved, and just the same as we walk in. And there is no tangible difference in my life, or I'm making no tangible difference in anybody else's life. I'm just a Christian. Now I've got more toppings on me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cake with, with sprinkles because I believe in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, if this sermon could be preached to the entire body of Christ, but it should grieve those of us who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit the most. Because not only do we believe we've been saved for, a, for such a time as this, we actually believe we have the power from heaven to fulfill it, and we still are actionless. Our theology tells us that we have the authority from heaven, we have been transformed by God, born again, new creation, and we have a power endued on high into our lives to, to take the great commission of the world, and we are not doing it. It's wrong. Well, Chester, we are doing it, not to the level he's asking us to do it. The first thing I thought whenever Cleegee texted me and said that, that, that man had OD'd this week. That man's been to this church in the past. First thing I thought is we've got to do more. We've got to do more. The world is burning to the ground all around us. And we're holding the spigot of water. And we're just doing our best to get along with each other or try to figure out what the will of God is for my life or. You hear what I'm saying? Somebody turn the water spigot on. Somebody do something. Take a risk. Take a risk. close with this for real this time stand up on your feet so I'll make sure I do for real this time I'm trying to close because I'd feel this burning inside of me
there was a song. How many of y'all remember the band Delirious? Remember the band Delirious back in the 90s? Went to a concert one time in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, Delirious was there. And, uh, and they, were on this, uh, they were on this stage. It was a big circle, and everybody sat all the way around them. And so that people wouldn't have to look at the back of the band sitting behind them, the stage would rotate one rotation every half hour. It was real slow, rotate, and it was really cool. And Martin Smith, who, by the way, has written most of, or co-written or lended himself to a lot of the best worship songs you've ever seen that you didn't know about. Martin Smith is a, is a worshiper of God, phenomenal songwriter. He's the lead singer, was lead singer of Delirious. And dude, it's cool. But first of all, they're all British, and they're all just like the Beatles. They got black suits on, skinny ties, and they're just all cool. And they are, who wants to hear the, the, the worship of the Lord in the sanctuary? Right? And we're all like, yeah, you know, and they're just cool. I mean, cool people. Like, I want to be like you. Right? <laughs> Australian. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, they're doing their thing. They're worshiping God. And Martin Smith had wrote this song. Oh, God, that we could get this. He wrote this song that I'll be a king of fools. Therein, look, you're going to the, the foolish things of the Lord confound the wise of the world, right? So you're going to look like a fool when you try to step out there in faith. Anybody want to look like a fool? That's what I'm talking about. I wish we would all look like fools. I tried praying for that person in the restaurant. People were looking at me. How else will they be astonished when they see healing if they're not looking at you? Most of what we do, we've so compartmentalized inside the church that we forgot how to do ministry in the world. Because people don't, we don't have people looking at us. And this cool cat, Martin Smith, puts on a jester hat and he sings this song I'll be a king of fools for you and when he gets to the bridge he starts dancing and you're thinking at first he's like dancing like he's real cool you know and by the time he's done he's just like like you think the new demon possessed he's like dancing like a crazy person and his whole point was God I don't as the lead singer of the band which is cool and all the people came to look I don't care if I look like the greatest idiot in the room I want to look I want to look good in your eyes. May we please actually do something. I really want to, I really want to be like next Sunday, we're going to have testimony time. Amen. Come to the microphone. Tell me about who you prayed for this week and about how that went. I, sh I mean, I really want to get that real about it. Amen. Like if I could give you tangible homework, lay your hands on somebody in need of anything this week and pray that heaven invades. And let's see what happens. If nothing happens, that's farther along than you were last week. So when you try it again the next week, and then you see just a glimmer of something happen, you go, I really do have authority. 
heaven, heaven has answered. Who knew? I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like if we all grab a hold of this and we try to have church and I say, let's have a testimony time? I'm asking God to restore testimony time back to church. Not like it was when I was growing up. Like it's supposed to be. I don't know how to end it. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, to me, I don't want to pray a prayer that makes you think, okay, the service is over. I can just leave now. So I'm not going to pray a prayer. You need to pray a prayer. I need to pray a prayer for me. And the prayer goes something like this. God, put somebody in my path who needs to be ministered to and then bother me so bad. I give you permission to bother me so bad. I was 21 years old in a Barnes and Noble and I can still remember the face of a girl I didn't pray for. I'm 38. I can still remember her face in Pensacola, Florida because the Holy Spirit bothered me and I refused. Missy sitting right there and I refused. I want you to be that kind of bothered. Amen? Release your kingdom and your people. And may our faith be alive and fruitful and authentic. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. We hope that this message from Cross Life Church was a blessing and encouragement to you. If we can pray for you or help in any way, please let us know by reaching out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening, and God bless you.